afternoon, universe, and welcome to another day, another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose. Monday afternoon, worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions of the enemy and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. And it is our Lord's Word that is the topic of discussion for the last few weeks in Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, something which really can't be said enough in our modern age in which people want to believe all manner of things as long as it is not written in the scriptures themselves. Well, St. Paul contends quite the opposite. He says, my friends, hunger for the truth. Watch your life and your doctrine closely because the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead are going to suit their own desires by getting around them. Teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. But you, Christian, you are to hold firmly to that trustworthy doctrine that you have been taught. And in this way, not only cling to the salvation which is given you in Jesus Christ, but also encourage others. That is, be able to give law and gospel to those who are in need. But you only do this when you have the certainty, certainty, the efficacy, the centrality, the substantiality of the scriptures themselves, the Old and the New Testament books written for your encouragement. To help us talk about this, as Dr. Pieper encourages us today... We have on the line regular guests, Pastor Andrew Preuss. He's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, as well as St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. And Pastor Adam DeGroote, he's pastor at St. Andrew Lutheran Church Plant in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Gentlemen, it's good to hear your voices again, and welcome back to Cross Defense. Good to be back. with you, Jonathan. So we're, we're picking up on page 62 of Peeper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume One, and today is gonna we're gonna we're gonna kind of go not quite on hyperdrive. We're gonna we're gonna jump a little bit faster today to try to move through what really is an extended section. I mean, he's gonna go on and talk about the nature and character of theology, meaning the Bible, for for quite a few pages here. The next time we have a live cross defense will be after the Christmas break, and we're gonna move into the next section. So we're gonna try to put a put a ribbon on the scriptures today as we can. Uh, but but we're, we're picking up where on page 62 in the paragraph that says, and this kind of, we, we looked at this a little bit last week, but we're going to kind of hit it again here, that every theologian should be able to see what we are here confronted with. Either we accept scripture as God's own word and emphasizing it as the sole source and norm of theology, teaching a divine doctrine, or we deny that Scripture is God's infallible word, distinguishing in it between truth and error, and teach in God's church the visions out of our own heart, a, a doctrine of men or merely of our ego. The divine authority which we take away from Scripture, we necessarily then, when we reject it, we, we must assign it to our own human mind. We are adrift on the sea of subjectivism. Human opinion occupies the rostrum in the church. Theology is no longer God-centered, but has become man-centered. And that, that is the whole issue in a nutshell there. So, Pastor Preuss, give you a first shot. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, he this kind of picks up after a discussion of um, which uh, you know of, of a guy named Hoffman who's from the Therlangen School. You know, and these guys are he they're trying to uh you know they're trying to they're trying to show that christianity is still credible before a world that is beginning to kind of bolster reason above everything else and uh, rejecting you know you get the enlightenment which basically says that nothing can go against reason and so people are denying that jesus really existed as the new testament said he did because it's impossible for people to do miracles and rise from the dead and stuff like that 
So then you get other guys who kind of try to respond to that and still hold on to their biblical Christianity, but then say, well, hold on, it's not so much about the Bible just coming down from heaven, it's more, you know, and and being inerrant and stuff like that. We need to really experience it. And so they kind of take the they take the focus away from these objective truths and try to make it more of this kind of experiential theology through my own, you know, kind of independent ego and stuff like that. And so and so Peeper is just kind of calling them off, you know, saying, hold on, you can't have it both ways. You can't have, you can't serve two masters, basically. You know, you're either going to be following your own uh, heart or, you're gonna, or your own ego, whatever you want to call it, your own mind, uh, human doctrine, or you're going to be following Scripture. You can't have both. And so, you know, you can, you can switch around your, your ways you say things or the ways you approach things all you want, but at the end of the day, if the Scriptures are not the source and norm of our theology, then you are not in the right spot. Pastor DeGroote, thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, isn't that, you know, I mean, what, what's changed from the time that this was written to, to you know, all the way back even even you know, thousands of years ago? I mean, look at this, you know, as you said in the next paragraph, I mean, trying to teach the new truth, or the old truth in the new way. I mean, maybe maybe that's, a, a, you know, an admirable way of doing things. I mean, and that's, you know, um, you know, Pastor Price, too. I mean, I'd like to be able to hear a little bit more, too, in terms of, I don't know if you're you're being charitable to this this uh, this fellow here or, or not that this that people is referring to, but I, you know, um, as he's going into this, I mean, he's he's as people then talks about it, he says basically, you know, he's he's dismissed on both grounds. You know, he's dismissed in terms of that you know the word we all love relevancy. He's dismissed in relevancy because um, he's still hearkening in some way back to scripture, but then he's, uh, also thinking that he's staying consistent to, to what the scriptures say, but in the end, uh, he loses on both fronts, and I think that's what Peeper's calling him out on, and, and, you know, here we are in, in this day and age, and, and, um, Christian pastors or Christians, et cetera, so on, trying to do very much the same thing that was, was, uh, called out as, as, uh, wrong teaching and, and, and wrong, uh, wrong understanding, uh, so many years ago. Well, he makes me think of a, a very famous guy. I won't, I won't drop his name, but he, he's well known for having everybody in his church stand up and say, this is my Bible. Uh, I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I am. And at the same time, he won't use the word sin. And and so it's like, well, which one is it, sir? <laughs> you know, uh, which which one do you want to have? Uh, Pastor Price, he kind of threw it back at you there for another thought. What, what do you think? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm not... I. I don't know that much about um, this Von Hoffman fellow. Um, I've read a little bit of Erlang and Theologians. Um, what I do know about Hoffman is that he he kind of um, he had he one of the things he was known for was this sort of uh, history uh, 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 salvation history, uh, which is this idea that that God is kind of moving through history and then the and then uh, it sort of finally culminates in the atonement. And it kind of gets away, and this is a little bit complex for people, but really what he's working with, um, and you see this not just in him, but all really uh, very popular, especially in the in the 20th century, this idea that they don't want to talk about propositional truths as much as they want to talk about more of this kind of dynamic moving of God hmm. toward an end. You know, and, and so and it comes in different forms. You know, there's different, and they're even within themselves criticizing one another. 
But, you know, you can drop the word existentialism, for example, and that's kind of, you know, that would maybe describe a bit of this as well. And that's just sort of, you know, it's it's uh, really what they all are trying to do is say, okay, we can't talk about the Bible as propositions as much because they, you know, the, the people who talk about the history of Jesus and, you know, and, and the life of Jesus guys, you know, who say that Jesus isn't really a viable historical character because he did these things that defy reason, uh, we got to approach it from a different a different angle. And so it's, you know, so I don't, I don't claim to really know a lot about this guy, but I am familiar with sort of this way of thinking that yeah. we're going to talk about truth not so much as an, an objective propositions, but as more of a, of a kind of a movement um, and an experience that we have, you know, with God. And so the scriptures are sort of that vehicle by, uh, through which we get to that kind of truth experience or, or, or con- um, uh, confrontation. Well, like you, you know, said, call it, that. It, it is a complex idea, and yet, I tell you, as you describe it, I, I, that is what I see as the dominant theme in American Christianity, whether it's inside or outside of Lutheran churches. Right. This this idea that we can't just tell people what God has said. We, we can't just teach the Bible. We can't just have this doctrinal ideas that never change. Instead, we have to invite them to our narrative, or we have to show them how we are a, a sacramental movement or, or some other thing, because people just aren't ready to hear these, uh, you know, you say propositional truths, these statements of fact. And yet, yeah, like, you're a sinner. God is angry at sin. You need salvation. Yeah, I mean, try Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I mean, these are propositional truths, right? And they're the center of of what we believe. And yet, if you take our position, I think today, what he's going to say in the next paragraph, it applies to us today. If you take our position that we should indeed have these uh, these, um, uh, propositional truths, these statements of facts that never change, these dogmas, you hear the same kind of argument that he was hearing back in the day from the quote-unquote moderns. He says, the moderns are determined to establish their man-centered theology in the church, not content with defending it. They launch vicious attacks against those who insist on taking the Christian doctrine from Scripture. They call us intellectuals, right? It's, it's intellectualism. It's biblicism. It's a mechanical treatment of Scripture, treating it as a manual of dogmatic statutes, a codex of laws from heaven, a paper pope, right? These are all just like direct quotes of things they, Lutherans, back in the day, like people were being accused of. He says, they cannot find invectives enough to apply to a God-centered theology. They employ just about the same abusive vocabulary as the Romanists. Romish theologians have ridiculed the idea as though the church gets its doctrine from paper and parchment, right? So so f- strangely, you end up in, at least in paper situation with Lutherans arguing just as Rome did that you got a paper pope, right? So what, what good is it? You need someone else to kind of lead you there, but I think the bigger point is that that there is going to be invective. There is going to be an attack. The moment you say there is something, a truth which never changes, which we all must believe, you got to expect those who don't want to be chained down by salvation to attack it. Uh, Pastor DeGroote, you're up, man. No, yeah, I mean, I, and I think, I mean, it's, it's a conundrum in, in a lot of ways, and we talked about this many times before because, you know, once again, how— how dare how dare any man uh, uh, suppose that he could you know one make the claim that truth exists or even worse uh, say that they are the ones that have the exclusive line to that particular truth? But I think you know 
you're thinking about it in the sense that, going back to what Pastor Toys is talking about, I mean, these endeavors that, that, that we as men have taken up, um, which in reality is, is faithlessness, that, that, that you know, somehow God has lost track of, of the time and place that we're in, uh, and that he's, he's lost connection with his people, um, and that the doctrines that he gave us you know, uh, thousands of years ago uh, somehow don't apply to us uh, in, in, our day and, in our day and age. But, you know, and I think about it, too, as he's looking in that paragraph that you just read, uh, Pastor Fisk, you know, I think, you know, as, as pastors, you know, to be able to say, well, yes, I mean, if we're reading the scriptures, um, and, you know, I think in some way to concede uh, the point and say, well, yeah, it is true that there is a little bit of intellectualism here, and and, and it is a paper pope, but, um, you know, he said earlier on here is that, okay, that it's the, the pastor's job to be able to sort of pick and choose the scriptures um, what's applicable to our day, but that's not a proper exegesis of or or a proper understanding of what a pastor is actually supposed to be doing, as, as Paul tells us to do in Second Timothy chapter two. Um, we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. So, looking at it and saying, well, yes, I mean the laws uh, in the scriptures. You know, we're looking at these things and saying, yes, these things apply; these things do not change. But then also to be able to understand, and I think the one thing that's, that's I'm seeing in the midst of all these things is that they've sort of foregone the understanding that there's a Savior who has come to atone for and to provide this vicarious satisfaction in our place, in our stead, to be able to provide the actual fulfillment of these things um, for our salvation, for and for our well-being, amongst many other things. And it's it bespeaks in so many ways sort of a spineless. Um, theology and, and a cowardice amongst the men of God that is, it, it's embarrassing, uh, because the reality is that it's not we who have the strong spine, it's the Lord uh, who, is, who strengthens us, who fights for us, who gives us his word, that we might be comfort, comforted, and that we might be sure, and that we might be certain uh, that he's always with us, taking care of us, and protecting us. Yeah. You know, they, to, to, to add to that, you know, you kind of, you, you, uh, you know, we're talking about like this paper pope and these other kind of uh, uh, caricatures here. There is something. We, we what's interesting about this is that we, as confessional Lutherans, um, or we who take the Bible seriously, have to fight on the other side against what we might call fundamentalism, hmm. which is yeah. this this idea that the Bible is just a bunch of rules, and therefore we can kind of list the the fundamentals that we can all agree on, but then ignore things like, you know, that that conflict with our reason, like the sacraments and stuff like that. You know, and you and you have it reminds me of, of, of what Isaiah records. I think Isaiah twenty eight where he, he, he goes he goes after the people for treating the word of God like he says uh he says, line upon line, you know, statute upon statute, here a little, there a little where they're, they're treating the Word of God like it's just a bunch of rules, and then they can sort of, you know, bring it down to a more manageable list of principles instead of the fear of God beginning the, being the beginning of their wisdom and then listening to the voice of the living God and hearing it. You know, we understand with the, these, this fundamentalism is out there, and it's not our friend, but we're often lumped in with them. And we need to understand how we are not fundamentalists, that we don't treat the Bible like it's just a list of rules, but that it is God's law and gospel revealed to us to kill us and make us alive, to save us, you know, and, and that his voice is, is, is always uh, to be heard 
and and uh, you know for our for our warning and for our comfort. Um, and and when we understand it like that, then we can easily hear from the you know the, just you know kind of dispute and uh, uh, you know just sort of ignore when when people go after us with these you know biblicist accusations because you know we we know what biblicism is and that's how we are. Two of my favorite old Lutherans, uh, Herman Sasa and Adolf Caberly, both speak in different ways about this idea of Lutheran understanding of Scripture and what Scripture teaches being a lonely way. And I think that that uh, Luther gets at this as well when he talks about there being two sides of a horse you can fall off of. And and so if you got to be careful when you're trying not to fall off on one side that you don't fall off on the other side. And that certainly is where I think, Pastor DeGroote, you even said that this idea, that, that this misused idea from the modern theologian people engaging that they they claim to be teaching the old truth in a new way well it's not like we don't have to translate the bible right i mean we actually do have to do that whether we're talking about direct language or whether we're talking about explaining what a word like justification means to people who don't know what the word means right so you don't want to get so rigid that you can't actually teach at the same time you don't want to get so lax that you think you can teach whatever you want to teach you're listening to cross defense part of worldwide kf Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We'll be right back on the other side of this break. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Do you know that the Lutheran Women's Missionary League has been proclaiming the gospel message and helping the hungry, homeless, and hurting for 75 years? Do you know that over the next two years, LWML is providing mission grants to 22 domestic and international ministries? Do you know that these grants total $2,075,000? Now that you know just a little bit about LWML, visit LWML.org to learn more. That's LWML.org. Hi, I'm Andy Bates, and I invite you to join me at 10 a.m. each weekday as we explore the stories of experts and everyday people in their given vocations. Faith and Family weekdays at 10 a.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Did you know that migraine is a disabling disease affecting over 36 million Americans? The pain of migraine sufferers is often so bad their lives just stop. The American Migraine Foundation helps people living with migraine to find the support and treatment they need. If you, a friend, or a family member suffer from migraine, go to AmericanMigraineFoundation.org to learn more, find help, and get connected. Make your move against migraine. Again this year, Worldwide KFUO and Peace Lutheran Church, South County, present the German Advent Christmas Service broadcast this Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. on AM850 in St. Louis, online at kfuo.org, and on the Worldwide KFUO app. Pastor Dennis Castens is the liturgist, the preaching from Dr. Robert Kolb of Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. Recorded this past Sunday afternoon, the rebroadcast is this Sunday on Worldwide KFUO at 3 p.m. 
The opinions of mere men end up making for a rather spineless theology in which anybody who launches an invective against you can get you to change your mind. But if you got the actual word of God as the thing which establishes you, it really changes everything. Talking about the theology of Scripture on cross defense with Pastor Adam DeGroote and Pastor Andrew Preuss. And we're looking at Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics. I'm going to skip a little bit ahead here, guys, just to the next page, page 63, where Pieper gives us a, a way of speaking about Scripture that's pretty important to hold on to. He says, but since it is the way of God's Holy Spirit to use a vehicle, and he puts vehicle in scare quotes there, a vehicle, namely a means of grace, uh, we, they were in reality, whether they were conscious of it or not, enthroning in God's church their own spirit, right? So, so when you say that the scriptures no longer are the vehicle or means of grace, what do you put in its place? You're taking away the Holy Spirit and you're putting whose spirit? Your own, which is supposed to deal with the Holy Ghost immediately. That is exactly the aim of the moderns. He was talking about the Roman Catholics there, believe it or not, but he's saying it's what the moderns do. Similarly, if we skip ahead just a little bit there, uh, the severe words which Luther uses to characterize the spirit, the animus of the papistical decrediting of Scripture is said this way, as a quote from Luther, they speak such things only in order to lead us away from the Scripture and make themselves masters over us that we should believe their dream sermons. <laughs> so, so also, Pieper says, Luther wrote against the Reformed enthusiasts who set the judgment of their own spirit against Scripture. He says, because of their conceited notion that one must disregard these words, this is my body, and first study the matter spiritually, they presume to correct the evangelist, that is the gospel writer. This devil goes about without a mask and openly instructs us to disregard scripture, he says. So so we got some stuff there in terms of the vehicle of the Holy Spirit and the means of grace, and then more of the same idea that well, once you tear down the scripture, what do you put in its place? It's going to be it's going to be you. Pastor DeGroote? Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, who could say it better than Luther does? I, absolutely, there. He's, you know, you know, we have an, an idea that you know the, the the Holy Spirit might be able to 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 do as He wishes and wills, uh, you know, to 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 the ends that uh, He's free to be able to do so. But I think that's one of the things we often forget about God is that you know God, um, for our sake, has limited Himself, and I think to be able to understand what that means is is really important. He's limited Himself to be. Uh, to be to be found within, of course, most specifically Scripture, and he's done so in order that, as John and I think we heard it last week, as John says, these things are written that we might believe. So, so Christ locates himself in this particular place. He holds himself accountable to that particular that particular promise, um, but then also has the Holy Spirit then, uh, you know, certainly, I guess maybe we look at it and say he's sort of this free agent who can, you know, move about as he wishes and wills like some NFL free agent, but the reality is, is that God actually says that he affixes himself to that word which is preached and taught properly, uh, and the means uh, by which faith actually is given and sustained in 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 the baptized believer. It's, it's, it's wonderful, because in the end, um, God limiting himself allows us to be able to apprehend uh, more readily who he is and what he's doing for us. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing that God, Almighty God, big and vast and eternal, brings himself into uh, our presence that we might be able to know who he is. Pastor Preuss? Yeah, that's, 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 very, uh, that's very comforting, very good, and it really gets to the, you know, to the, to the, to the core, the difference between 
how the scriptures speak of God and how he works, and how man sort of expects God to work, that man has this sort of, uh, this idea of God that almost like he's like a neutral spirit. You know, you go back to Plato, and Plato has this idea that you have to kind of get in touch with your inner spirit or your inner soul, and then that way you're able to sort of tap into the the soul of, of, of God, you know, or the spirit of God, and then that's somehow you're, you know, it's, it's, this, it's, it's, you know, this kind of building up to, uh, to God. But man, man assumes that God is, like I said, like neutral or that every other spirit is neutral. Like, no, the reason why God became a man, um, is just to expand on what Pastor DeGroote was saying. Uh, not only is he giving us, a, you know, he's coming to us in human, as, as a man and in external in an external way for us to grasp, he also did it because our flesh was not just neutral. You know, he, he, came, he came to address the big elephant in the room, that we are by nature at enmity with God. And so I think that this stuff is all connected, that when they, they try to assume that somehow you can tap into God by means of another spirit or another means outside of his scriptures, which, which he has bound himself to, they're assuming that these things are not hostile to God. And that's what people need to realize, that outside of the Scriptures, outside of the Word of God, any other notion um, or, or spirit or feeling or thought outside of God's Word that is about God is against God. That is the corruption of sin. And I think that that's why I think that a lot of these guys, they can't, uh, they can't not understand or grasp the incarnation of God in, 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 in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, or the sacraments, um, because they imagine that somehow this immediate spirit that connection that, they, that, we, that we apparently have with God is not corrupted by sin. They don't understand the corruption of our sinful nature. And the Scriptures confine all under sin, so that we might be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. I think... Well, the, I think go ahead, go ahead. Quickly, yeah, real quickly on that too, and I think you know, and Pastor Price, you're—I mean, you're—you're you're on a roll, man, in the sense of saying, you know, I mean, this guy Hoffman and I, and Pastor Fisk. I don't know if you can't mention, you know, heretics' names online, uh, you know, but uh, Joel Osteen, uh, who by and large is is very much in the line of Hoffman. These are men that would lead us to the very face of God, uh, and, and and with you know, with with our own good works and with our own defense against God. Um, and, and this is the thing, you know, here we are, the second week of Advent, um, where, you know, especially in the one-year lectionary, we hear that Jesus, Jesus will be the one who stands as the judge. And for those of us who are baptized, I mean, that's a wonderful thing to understand, that the very one who is just and the justifier will be the one who stands in judgment. And then in that day, I will only, not, I won't have my works to present to God, I will then simply say, you have done these things for me. It is because of you that I stand here. As a, I, I am a guilty, sinful person. I deserve nothing but death and damnation. Yet, for your sake, for what it is you have done for me, you have set me free. Thanks be to God. The idea of Jesus as a judge is not a fearful thing, but yet Hoffman and Osteen and all these other, other guys would want you to bring your case before Almighty God with the with the, the lies that somehow you're going to be able to petition him with what you've done to atone for your own sins. And you and I know how well that will work. Our scriptures are clear on that. 
that, that I can do nothing. The people in this world can do nothing to atone, to make things right, to, to, to save themselves from their sins. And you know, so too these men, Hoffman and Osteen, um, uh, are not in line with the Scriptures. And I think, you know, as they say, and I don't know if you can say it, but I, I certainly will, these men are the devils that are leading us astray. Yeah, I was just trying to be nice earlier, that's all. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, But I, I, I think both of you guys there are really emphasizing what the nature of sin is. So you mentioned Pastor DeGroot doing nothing, and it reminds me of Luther in his Heidelberg Dis- Disputation, where he says that when we do what is in us, we do evil. Uh, so so if you leave me, you leave a baby alone to be raised by wolves until they're a thinking adult, they're not going to come away from that with pure thoughts about God. They're, they're natively, they're naturally going to find the, the, the most wicked version of God, which might still provide some sort of like good love pack mentality or something, but it's nonetheless going to be looking to nature, generally speaking, rather than to the God who made nature as as being the center of all of that. And so for Christians to recognize that that, that when we talk about there is nothing outside of the scriptures that, that we can point to for God, that my own native thoughts bursting forth from my heart are actually going to be more likely to, to give me to the devil, that, that we we uh, we see first the danger inherent in that, that, that to be a sinner is to be one who thinks wrongly about God by definition, and that God in his mercy loves us so much that he's not leaving us in that state, but has given us something entirely different, a word from outside of us that we can be certain truly is about God. And yet here we have, as Peeper is dealing with, as we deal with in our present age, vast swaths of Christianity that have that. They have this text and this dogma, and they say, yeah, you know, people have changed. Things are different now. And I'm going to push us at the next paragraph a little bit here because that, that argument that people are different now and so we have to talk differently and, and, and bring them a different set of words, that was popular back then and is popular now. There's a guy named Immels who he's going to kind of quote and reference here who's basically making the, the claim that, that the, the people of the first century and the people of Reformation were, were kind of just too immature to really deal with the fullness of theology. So they had to be limited to a text, and and we don't have to anymore. So he says, the early church had to deal with men of a religious disposition, and it was but natural that its immature theology would appeal to a special supernatural revelation, meaning the appeal to the word of the prophets and the apostles of God. So, so what he's saying there is, look, back then the people were stupid, so they had to have a religious text. They had to have a supernatural revelation. But it was a mistake to employ this essentially intellectual, intellectual, intellectualistic method. The Church of the Reformation, he says, was in a similar situation. Its opponents the Church of Rome claimed divine authority for his traditionally accepted teaching, and the Church of the Reformation calculated that it could establish the truth of his doctrine most effectively by supporting it in the most direct way with the authority of divine revelation. The same wrong method, declares Immels, the same intellectualism. Like the early church, the spirit of the Reformation, and especially of later Lutheran dogmatics, was in the main satisfied with an intellectualistic understanding of revelation. Therefore, according 
according to Immels, one must not take the Christian doctrine exclusively from Scripture for such an intellectualistic use of Scripture or biblicism, biblicism can produce only a dead Christianity, a Christianity of the intellect. And the next paragraph, Stephen, you know, one wonders how people could, could actually accuse Scripture of producing dead orthodoxy. But let's just kind of start or stick with that, that main idea here first, though. It has to poo-poo the past and say, yes, yes, those dumb ancient people, they needed supernatural revelation. Now we know that, that we, that's just a, 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 what do you call it, a superstitious way of thinking. And in that, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going on here a little bit, but, but the belief that somehow we, we've changed and we need a different answer for a different time. I mean, I hear this, I hear this from circles that are closer to home than I'd like to hear it from. So, uh, Pastor DeGroote, give you first shot. No, I mean, Immel's is silly here, but I mean, and I, I don't really mean silly, I, I, but I, you know, this, I, I mean, according to that way of thinking, I mean, it's the ways, uh, the old ways of thinking and, and you know, et cetera, so on. He's, he's refuting himself. I mean, certainly Immel's knows that, you know, that the time will pass and, and that, that we'll look back on him and say that there was a guy named Immel's hundreds of years, a hundred years ago that wrote thus and such. But I think, the, you know, just to put that aside to be able to understand here is that, okay, I think what you see really is this, is that, okay, Immels is making these particular claims. He's making them maybe possibly to be relevant, whatever the heck that means. And yet he's making these particular claims basically against the truth which exists. And so in the end, what we end up finding is that we have the truth, which is, is found only and exclusively within the scriptures. Peter talked about that and basically says, if it's not found within the, within the confines of Holy Scripture, it's not Christianity. Um, he says that back on, on page 62. Um, but then you have Immels, who really, if nothing more, is, is, is you know, he's a redactor in, in so many ways. He's just basically saying the same things that have been said for hundreds of years before him. And in the end, the argument is simply this, is that either it's, either it's from Scripture and it's Christianity, or it's not from Scripture, and it's not Christianity. And, and I think that's where we're end, ending, ending up being led to believe and to understand that this Immels fella, uh, for all his maybe uh, virtuous attempts, uh, is, is missing the mark uh, very, very badly um, and, and leading us very much to the same place that, uh, that, that all false teachers lead us to, and that's the place of despair uh, and, and shame and vice, et cetera, so on. Bryce? Yeah, and this, yeah, you as Pastor DeGroote said, you know, this is nothing new, and we see this in other 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 places as well. Um, one one who's probably a little bit uh, more well known uh, is a guy by the name of uh, Rudolf Boltman, who was uh, who would talk about this existential interpretation of Scripture. That uh, there's he, he made a distinction between two types of history. He called history and Geschichte, which is the German word for history. But anyway, one of them is uh, one of them is just kind of the, the bare facts that happen, and the other is sort of the existential um, imprint that it has on you personally. That you kind of you're sort of confronted with it, and how does it engage you personally? And he says that what really matters is that 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 latter kind, you know, of history. That it actually is history for you to you. And what's very unfortunate about all this is that a lot of these guys who are writing are Germans, which means that a lot of them are of a Lutheran tradition. And so they're often using Lutheran terminology, stuff that Lutherans are going to really gravitate towards. Things like 
you know, law and gospel, you know, that this is it's more of a gospel kind of approach to the scriptures. Or things like like faith. Um, uh, you know, we talk in the Augsburg Confession about how faith is not a mere knowledge of history, right? But it, it is a special faith that applies the promises to oneself. And, and, and so, so it doesn't simply just say, oh, well, that's what happened, but it, but it also trusts in God's promise. And so they are claiming, a lot of these guys, I mean, I, I remember reading Hegel on this. We talked about him a, a couple months ago, you know, where he, he says a lot of this kind of stuff where the, there's this movement in history and, and the incarnation isn't really what happened in, the, in, in, in literally what happened in history, that God became a man, but more of Jesus realizing this unity and so it was true for him, and, you know, this kind of stuff. And he, he appealed to the Lutheran understanding of this sort of special faith against this, you know, historical faith that we, that we charge the Roman Catholics of, you know, just looking at faith as just this thing that needs love to be added to it, stuff like that. So that's something that people should just be aware of, that a lot of these guys are quote-unquote Lutheran, and they are like Hoffman, you know, these guys are coming from Lutheran ways of speaking, and so they can often be very deceitful, especially to us Lutherans. In the argument today that that I hear about how we have to change, uh, that people are different now, it usually is focused on the mission of the Church, and the accusation is along the lines that if you believe in a unchanging truth, that therefore you must be against the mission of the Church. You must be against converting people. You're for a Church which is, again, a, a sort of a dead orthodoxy, a dead adherence to, to letters written on a page. And they never quite say it that way. I'm actually trying to protect the guilty here, I think, a little bit. But but it is stunning to me. This is just, again, it's nothing new. Page 64, again, one wonders how the modern theologians get the strange notion that adherence to the scripture principle necessarily results in an intellectualism, dead orthodoxy, lacking inner warmth, right? So doctrine somehow is this cold thing that doesn't inspire people. And when we say we need doctrine for the sake of the church, they hear us saying we need to like kill the church with boring dead stuff, right? As opposed to, at least when I talk about it, we need more dogma. I'm talking about the inspired ever-living word of God active in our midst doing stuff. And Peeper goes on, he says, what they offer as proof for their thesis only increases our wonder They argued that the old method, that is scripture, violates the law of psychology. It fails to establish psychological contact. And he goes on for a a solid page here that we're not going to go verbatim all the way through. But this idea of psychological contact is what he's getting. And he's basically saying that dogma and scripture by itself is too cold to inspire anybody to care. And so you have to come up with something that's more like where they are. Can I call it felt needs? Is that going too far? You have to... You have to find them where they are, and only after you give them what they need where they are will they be interested in in connecting with this religious movement that we call Christianity. And I think that's just gnarly and backwards to the highest degree, because I don't see what could be less or what could be possibly be more relevant than the forgiveness of my wickedness, that, that, that looking at me in my dead and dying state and having God from heaven declare to me, he's not going to leave me in the grave I've built for myself, but it's going to bring me out on the other side through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's dogma, my friends, and it's good news. This is what we're talking about. Cross defense. We'll be right back.
Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m. every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. A fragment may be just a small piece, but in the case of the Wyman fragment from the 3rd century, a highly significant piece. It's a glimpse of the New Testament. On one side of the fragment is Romans 4:23 through 5:3. On the other side of the fragment is Romans 5:8 through 13, including Romans 5:1, a key verse in Christian theology. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is thought to be the second oldest New Testament fragment on vellum. And in recent years, the fragment has received considerable attention by scholars. Impressive for a fragment originally discovered in a drawer in an antiquities shop. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Listen to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, talking with Pastor Andrew Preuss and Pastor Adam DeGroote about the doctrine of Scripture and this idea that's always leveled against it by the opponents of Scripture and the lifters up of themselves, which is that the doctrine of Scripture itself, the unchangeable truth of it, isn't able to make psychological contact with the people who are like us today. Back in the day in the first century, yeah, it was written for them, but now our context demands a different word or a different explanation, uh, a more effort by our part to really make this truth of what we believe about God work. Well, the paragraph goes on to talk a little bit about this, but it ends with these words. It says, accordingly, St. Paul refused to employ the psychological contact point of what he calls, St. Paul calls, enticing words of man's wisdom. He simply preached the gospel with its demonstration of the spirit and power in order that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God, 1 Corinthians 2. So St. Paul seemed to have the idea that it wasn't up to us to make contact at all, that the Word of God had done the contact making to begin with, and that going forward would take care of all of those things for itself. Pastor Proys, anything about that that whole page and a half there you want to jump in on? Yeah, you know, the, the, what's that saying? Like, she protested too much. Hmm. You know, when you, when, you know, when I, when I hear about these accusations, whenever I read these accusations, um, of, you know, quote-unquote dead orthodoxy, where we just don't get to the psyche or we don't make it relevant to them. Um, I've heard, I've heard you know, we, we have to stop uh, worrying so much about theology and more about, you know, the love of God and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, you know, okay, well, where, where have you been, man? I mean, this is what the Scriptures... This, the, where, where is this false dichotomy coming from? So it's almost like these guys themselves have just been these cold ivory tower academics treating theology as this dead language, you know, and then now they turn around and say, well, you guys got to, you know, we kind of came to the realization that you shouldn't do that. And it's not really relevant to people. And so you guys, and then they try to impugn us on that too. And it's like, wait, hold on, man, speak for yourself. I'm not the one who is making God's word totally irrelevant for everyone else. And then turning around on my high horse, claiming that other people did it too. No, we have been teaching that the Word of God, 
the, the power of the, the power of the gospel is the saving power of God. Is the word of the cross. It is it is salvation for those, uh, you know, for, for those who believe. You know, it, it is the re- it gives us the renewal of our minds. You know, as Saint Paul says in First Corinthians two, that we have the mind of Christ. You know, that that uh, this this idea that doctrine is cold and dead. You know, this is sure. Maybe some people treat God's word that way, and these academics, these rationalists, particularly those who maybe have a hard time with accepting the bodily presence of Christ in the bread and the wine. But then they're going to turn around. It's like they come to a revelation. They got saved, so to speak, and then they turn around and start judging us. And it just—it honestly annoys me. And I, you know, and and I could go on and on ranting about this, but I just—I really just get. Set up with it because there, it's just it's like a guy who tells who like says bad words all the time and then realizes he shouldn't say bad words and then starts judging you because he remembers that you said a bad word one time you know it's just kind of it's 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 really just pompous sanctimonious just academic ugh, and we should just have we we shouldn't let it bother us at all. That's the final word, I guess, Pastor DeGroote. You can't say anything after that, right? No, I, well, no, but I, I, <laughs> I, I love it. I love, Andrew, thank you so much. I mean, and you're, you're absolutely right in the sense that, you know, the, 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 the liberty that's been taken, almost, almost like uh, you know, the prodigal son in so many ways, or the, or the, the petulant teenage kid who, who's left the, 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 the nice, warm comforts of their own home and, and have, 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 you know, struck out to find their own way in the world, and 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 they found the world, you know, uh, you know, mean and nasty to them. But you know, if only the world would come around to their way of thinking, things would be easier. But the reality is that, you know, the the, the great truth of all this is that all the way back to to St. Paul to, to now, um, you know, and I and I think the wonderful thing about all this is that you know, we have been welcomed into this family of God and 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 given a home and given an identity and given a story. Um, that's our story, and I think that's the thing that bothers me the most. Is that when we say that the doc, you know, we need to get rid of doctrine, it's almost like you know uh, me looking back at my family history and saying we need to get rid of a, a key aspect of what it is that I grew up with. And the reality is, is that that's not possible. Our identity is so immersed in this very doctrine because doctrine is Jesus. The doctrine is the Word of God. The Word of God is the Logos. And, and, and understanding that we fit into this, and that even when we do go out and just try to strike up our own paths and to, to do all sorts of different things, the, the best course is not to redouble or dig our heels in and say, my goodness, we're right, you know, follow me. The best thing that we can do in the midst of these things is to stand before our Almighty God who hates sin and yet say to him, I have erred. And I have been, and I deserve nothing more than your punishment. Have mercy on me. And the great family story, the great doctrine of Christianity is this, that for the sake and the blood of Jesus Christ, given and shed for us, that we are bought and paid for. And that's the beauty. That's the doctrine. That's the history. And that's who we are, that we can't, you know, and I think it's one of the things, I mean, going back to this understanding that, you know, uh, you know, following after the, the, the flippant children who have gone off on their own and, and have, you know, said basically, follow me, you know, uh, no, we are in a position where we are able to return to our Father and be able to say to Him in, 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 and to speak to Him as, as, as He is our Father and, and expect 
that he does absolutely despise sin, but that he is absolutely merciful, loving, and gracious to us. It's, it's a, a wonderful thing for us to remember. We only know that dogma, which you just said, that was doctrine right there, which you just said, and it's not cold, it's certainly not lifeless. We only know that because the scriptures proclaim and teach it to us. And that's where, you know, to push us forward a little bit more, we're going to take a little of 65 at the bottom and some of the top of 66 here. Uh, Peter says this, he says, If the written word of the apostles and prophets of Christ cannot win the hearts of men, cannot establish psychological contact, much less will that word do it, which modern theologians have evolved out of their experience, right? You know, if, if God's word can't make us alive, what makes us think ours has a chance, right? And then on 66, this is the, the first full paragraph there, the entire terminology of the theologians who would procure the Christian doctrine from their own heart moves in the sphere of self-deception, and that means in the sphere of untruthfulness. And just the next paragraph's first line, it is sheer delusion to make the Christian experience take the place of Scripture. I mean, to, to kind of, again, put a ribbon on the nature and character of theology as God's theology before we move on to the next locus and the, the next show. I, I can't think of a better way to summarize it than that last bit. It is delusional. You guys called it demonic earlier to try to take anything, even my faith, even my trust in the Holy Spirit to take anything and put it in place of the sol- solidarity of the written text of Scripture. Pastor Preuss? Yeah, you know, and, and uh, one of the things that Pieper is kind of having to address when he's addressing, when he's defending the Word of God and the concept of dogma and doctrine, he finds himself having to defend the, the, the Lutheran dogmaticians. Uh, uh, Luther, uh, uh, but, but specifically the Lutheran dogmaticians. And one of the things that uh, it, we can admit that there are some weaknesses in the, the methodology of the Lutheran dogmaticians, some distinctions that they made maybe weren't all that, all that helpful. Um, and they did run into some uh, issues with, uh, you know, with, with kind of using the, the causes of Aristotle and stuff like that. And, and sure, yeah, there are some limitations with every method, and you're going to find that, and there's always that danger to rely on your method, whether it's for church growth or it's for, you know, explaining God's Word in dogmatics. I'll, I'll, I'll concede to that. But one of the things about the dogmaticians that they remained very consistent on was that they didn't neglect talking about tentatio, that is the cross, suffering as an essential part of studying theology. And this is, you know, these three, these three things that Luther says make a theologian, uh, prayer, oratio, meditation, or study of God's Word, meditatio, and then, uh, you know, kind of struggle or, or, or trial or suffering, which is tentatio. And these things are, are never denied, and they're always understood that this is, this is something that God is working on us. We are learning this as we are humbled under God's mighty hand. And just as Peter just said here, you know, everyone experiences this, you know, that, that we're all experiencing this sin and grace when you read the Word of God. And it, so you can't have the Word of God apart from an experience. As Paul says, it's either a fragrance of life to life or, or of death to death, you know? And uh, so when they try to neutralize it, they're just fooling themselves. And we should not ever concede to their points about the Scriptures. If we try to satisfy their wanting 
of us to, you know, be more relevant and stuff like that, we are already falling into their pit. Instead, we should, as as uh, you and, and Pastor Drew have both been saying, you know, humble ourselves before God and repent before God and and listen to his voice. DeGroote? No, and, and absolutely an understanding that, that, that you know, and I, I think we talked about this, you know, yesterday, you know, in, in churches, that, you know, to understand, we confess, you know, and there's two parts of that. We're confessing in order that we might be able to receive that absolution, and I think ultimately it comes down to this, that, you know, in the end, you know, as these, these men, Hoffman and Osteen and, and all the false prophets and devils of this world, um, if, if it's being pointed in any way, shape, or form to us, to, to our experience, to, to our understanding, to our us, whatever it happens to be, me, 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 uh, we have to be very uh, keenly aware um, that that's, a, that's a, it's a very perilous place to be. On the other hand, um, and even if, you know, as Pastor Post is saying, is even if the theologians are in error, um, in terms of certain certain things that have, have been, been studied, practiced, et cetera, and so on, um, letting the Scriptures be the, the, the norm that, 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 that guides and directs in all these things, um, it's ultimately that that ends up pointing us only to what it is that Christ has done for us on the cross. And I think that comes down to the crux of it, is that either, and it's really this, there's really only two religions in the world, um, one religion would be that which points you to yourself and your own works, and that which you do to, to atone for your own sins, which is a false religion, and that's all the religions in the world except Christianity, or the religion that points out your sin rightly uh, and your status before God, but actually provides you the very Savior who has shed His blood for you and risen again for your justification, and that is the true religion, and there is only comfort and hope in that. Pastor Adam DeGroote is pastor at St. Andrew Lutheran Church, it's a church plant in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Pastor Andrew Preuss, he's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Gentlemen, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on Cross Defense this week. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having me again. Cross Defense is going to be uh, off the air just for about two weeks here, which Christmas time is coming, which means two things. Uh, we're, I'm going to take a little bit of time next week, but then we're going to be playing Christmas music for you from Christmas all the way through that New Year's uh, New Year's Day, which is a Monday, so it actually is three weeks. You're going to have to go with some old episodes of Cross Defense. Go download them from the website if you're hungry and starving. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you on the new year. But let me send you through Advent into Christmas time with this this idea that that the Word, the eternal Word of God, the the irrevocable dogmatic statement of fact reality that God creates by speaking, that word irrevocably and statemently became flesh, a man, in fact, in history, something that cannot be denied, something that cannot be dismissed, something which is true whether you believe it or not, and he did it not to condemn you. Not that you might be dead in your own sinful orthodoxy, but that you might be made alive with his true orthodoxy, his right praise, his correct words, his Emmanueling and God within you for your sake. Jesus of Nazareth, born to die, died to rise, risen to make you his own forever. My friends, that's why we defend the cross. That's why we defend the scriptures. I look forward to seeing you on the other side of this Merry Christmas. Rock on.
listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.